We are very excited to be here. But we've got such a sort of mellow atmosphere that I yeah. think it just puts us in that mind state. Uh, mellow. Well, let's see if I can. In March of 2020, the world as we knew it came to a halt, forcing us to navigate a new normal. This new normal has not been without major challenges, and with no handbook to guide the way, decisions are just made on the fly. In a business where in-person human connection is key, social distancing and masks cause the normal business of recreation to come to a complete stop. In this very special series of the people behind the story, we will be sitting down with the entire Parks, Recreation and Community Facilities team to discuss how it's been navigating regular business in the era of COVID. We talk about their challenges, how they're getting creative to still reach the Richmond community, and what moving forward looks like. I'm your host, Shayna Battle, Outreach Coordinator for Pine Cam Cultural Arts Center. And on this episode, I talk with Chris Froke and Deborah Morton, Director and Deputy Director of Parks, Recreation and Community Facilities. They both get honest about the challenges of leading during this time, keeping their staff and the community safe, and how they see PRCF moving forward post-COVID. Let's jump into the episode. Uh, before we get started, can everyone introduce themselves? Sure, I'll go first. Okay. I am Chris Froke. I'm the Director of Parks and Recreation and Community Facilities for the City of Richmond. And I'm Deborah Morton. I'm the Deputy Director for Parks and Recreation and Community Facilities. Well, welcome. Glad to have you guys here. Yeah. Yes. Very glad. So we're in a very unique time, like living through a history book, yes. as my dad says. In March of this year, everything kind of shut down because of COVID. This conversation is just going to be about, you know, how we're navigating through COVID, if there were any challenges navigating through COVID and where the department is going to go in the future. So the first question is, overall, how has it been navigating through this time? Well, I'll start and Deborah, you feel free to sort of jump in. When this happened, I remember the word being said that it's a fluid situation. That's continually how the media described it and a lot of people. And I think it's it's pretty spot on. It's times, as you said, that it, no one's ever lived through this in our generation. The last time this happened was over 100 years ago. We can look at some of that stuff because there's a lot of similarities, but it's not like we lived it. It's not like we were trained in it. It's not like anyone ever taught us really how to deal with something like this. I mean, a hurricane, you have that come in, maybe a few days that it impacts your operation. You do not have something like this that impacts it for looks like going to be at least a year um, of what we're looking at, if we're lucky. And so to go into that storm mode or that emergency operation mode 24-7 for months at a time, you know, is a whole new experience for all of us. And looking back now at March, which seems like a lifetime ago, Mm -hmm. um, to be quite honest with you, is that the number one priority that I realized for me was how can I be that calming and be there for my staff as best that I can? Because we were living in unstable times. There was a lot of fears that were happening. And what can I do? Because there wasn't a lot of great information we were getting. And how could I let them know it was going to be okay? And I think that, you know, we had with the leadership team, we started having calls twice a day, every morning and every afternoon where we would touch base. What's going on? How is everyone doing? What do your staff need? What do we need to be talking about? And I ended almost every call like, we will get through this. We will get through this. 
And I realized that we just needed something along those, you know, because it was tough. And the other thing that was really important to me is that as much as we realize that parks and recreation is an essential service for citizens, my number one priority was my staff first and foremost. And so it was really, how do I take care of those needs? How do I figure out what their needs are so that we can be there for them? One of the things that we did do is that we made all the staff pretty much essential. And we brought everyone back because of what my concern, and then again, like I said, this seems so long ago, but we saw our neighboring counties laying people off on furloughing recreation yeah. staff. And when I saw that, knowing that we already struggle with the number of staff that we have, I wanted to make sure there was no way for that to happen to our department. And so we had to be strategic. So not only were we living through different things, we had to make sure that we were seizing the moment to protect our organization. I have seen throughout the country, parks and recreation are the first getting hit right now in cuts. And for us to navigate the budget where we are, I believe, about 100,000 to 200,000 positive from what we were last year, I take that as a win. I take it that our community realizes that parks and recreation is a priority, but it's a lot because of the hard work of all of our staff out there too. So there was a lot of stuff that happened. I think that we have a great community support in what we do. We have an amazing staff, and I think we have changed the narrative where other localities haven't that were essential. And there's a lot of work that, I mean, we've done. We've worked with the school system. We were out there helping provide meals, helping to get laptop distribution. We worked with Meals on Wheels. We, we retooled our whole entire department during that to meet the needs of our community. And I realized that when we get through this, our community will know that. And our community will be there for us. And they are. I mean, yes, it, it's, they are. I mean it's been amazing. It has. And I have to add that Chris's leadership his calmness, you know, really calmed a lot of the staff. You know, when we first went down on lockdown, I had ended up with the flu. And so my staff told me I couldn't come to the facility at all. (laughs) So the first three to four weeks, I was still at home and just being home and not being able to go out, not being able to do anything um, is, is real stressful. And then worrying about the staff and what are they doing? Do they have enough PPE, you know, to keep them safe while they're out there um, is, you know, was worrying me also. And so, you know, coming back to the office, I felt like I was breaking out of prison because <laughs> <laughs> I need to see my people, even though, you know, um, people are like, oh, you going back into the office? I said, no, it'll be just a, a small amount of people in the office, but we have people out there on you know, they're out there doing their jobs and we need to make sure that they have what they need and that they're safe doing it because they have to go back to their families and, you know, in the evening. And so really proud, as Chris said, really proud of the staff, you know, because they hung in there. People who were on the recreation side jumped in and started doing other things that is outside of their job description, you know, but they wanted to learn, you know, because they understood that, you know, we're all one team, you know, and we need to do what, what needs to get done. So they're out there walking in the parks and being park monitors. Some of them were cutting grass, trimming, learning how to do landscaping, you know, those kinds of things. And some, a couple of people don't want to go back to, to the recreation mm-hmm. side. They want to stay on the park maintenance side because they enjoy it so much and being out, out there and the elements so much. But it's, it's, it's stressful. I think it's been stressful for a lot of people working together, I think that we've managed to to really be a cohesive unit 
especially since a lot of people now are using the parks. Our numbers are just uh, just skyrocketed because that's the only way they're getting their exercise. They're getting some relief, some stress relief is walking, biking, you know, paddling, doing all kinds of things that they can do in our parks. And that's been a relief for people. So the support that we have from not only the mayor, but city council, but in the community at large is we need to fund parks and recreation more because they are like the backbone of the community. I was going to say, can I add one more thing yeah. real quick? The other beautiful thing that happened, I mean, you can see that sort of the chaos created innovation. And we saw a lot of the silos within our departments, at least on the leadership team level, come down. So you would have, you know, Priscilla talking to Bryce and, you know, Michael, Bar like people that hadn't formed a ton of relationships prior to COVID realized, well, Bryce can help me do this and Priscilla can help me do this. And Rakia has this skill set. So we started realizing we really became a team mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. We were ahead of the curve, you know, like we were one of the first departments to close our doors before others in the country did that. Like we saw that we were looking at it. We were paying attention to that. And then the park monitors, we were one of the first in the countries to come. Others have copied us, but we were actually setting the example of what we needed to do, what we were doing with PPE. We still do it with the temperature checks in our buildings. All the stuff that we've done is that it was the team has been researching what best practices are. And that's not only stressful, it's exhausting because you're reading everything. And the thing that's tough is that because we're researching as we go, we don't have all the right data to know that, is this the right move or is that the right move? And so what we aired on based on our community is that we needed to be the most cautious as possible. And so if there was an extreme measure that we needed to take, we were going to take it. And we were going to have people working from home or we were going to have people being park monitors and enforcing social distancing, but was always stressed, your safety is the first most. You don't go into a group of 10 people that aren't social distancing. That's what your phone is and you call, you know, 911. You're just supposed to watch and monitor. But that was always what we were trying to do is figure out what can we do because there wasn't no textbook and there was no clear. I mean, our prof you can look at the different documentation that was sent from our professional societies. You probably had 10, 15 different ways people were responding mm -hmm. to it. You know, so there wasn't a, you know, a, a clear direction. And so we just had to figure yeah. it out. And it made me, as I've said before, and I truly, truly mean this, is that I think we have one of the most amazing dynamic teams in the country. And going through COVID showed that to me on a regular basis. Like we had that team spirit. We had that. When I asked everyone to come back who at that point, people had been sitting at home for several weeks. Most people came up to me. Everyone that came up to me said, thank you for having us come back. We want to work. You know, we want to help our community. So did you find any hesitancy in recreation staff and staff in the parks or cultural arts having an issue with transitioning to what from what we traditionally do? to doing other things. I know I was out doing computer distribution. I know rec staff were in the parks and doing maintenance. Was there any hesitation with any staff? There was a few, but in any organization, you're going to have pushback from folks who don't like change and don't like doing something else. It, it was something that was foreign and different. But once they saw their colleagues out there doing it and enjoying it, you know, a couple of people said, oh, you know, I lost 10 pounds walking around out in the, in the community. This has been better for my health. And, and I helped the school system. And I helped these kids get their, their computers. Or I helped the kids with the Richmond Public Schools with food distribution so that our children can get fed. Because at the end of the day, specifically on our recreation side, they were concerned about the children. 
Okay. And what effect is it having on the children because they can't see their friends, because they can't recreate and play basketball and football and, you know, cheerlead and do all those things that they do as, as kids or be in school with their friends. And so most of the staff did not have a problem. I would say about 90%. I agree. I was thinking, you know, we got 200 employees. Yeah. We had a handful that, I mean, they were scared. And I think you got to realize that. I mean, you're seeing a lot of information. There's a lot of wrong information that's out there. There's a lot of right information that's out Mm -hmm. there. There's a lot of people that are susceptible versus others. I mean, we have a very high level of staff that we've got to be concerned about, you know, based on age, based on race, based on a lot of different factors that we've got to look on health situations. So we understood that. And I think it's hard for us to communicate with all 200 employees to let them know we're doing everything we can to make this a safe space for you to come back. You know, we've thought through this. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to put you in a situation that isn't, but we want to make sure you understand all we're doing. I think the thing that was amazing to me was also all those new things that we were doing. Again, a majority of them did well. And we got feedback from the school system, like Parks and Recreation is the best group that shows up. When they come in and they do feed distri- feeding distribution, they just run it. You know, like we let them do computer mm-hmm. distribution. They just run it. You know, like those are our best sites where we have the Parks and Recreation people. And so I think we started developing, I know we developed a reputation as the go-to agency. I think we've been seeing that within the mayor's office and the CEO's office, but now we're starting to be seeing that in the community that we have the ability to do that. And so I think what probably also happened as we started doing it, people, they might not talk to Deborah and I, but they're going to talk to each other. You know, like I've always known that recreation, usually staff, you know, they all. And so once they start here, no, this is good. You should come out here. We got it. I think that helped also people understand that it is our community's time of need. This is going to hopefully be the biggest need that we live through our lifetime. Let's hope for that. And if this is our time and we're called, this is what public service means. I was, again, as I said, humbled by just mm-hmm. how many people got it. I know people that were working that weren't used to working seven days a week like Deborah and I are, who have been working seven days a week. You know, we're up for a lot of it because it, things were just so happening on such a dynamic level. What were the challenges in addressing the different needs from recreation to cultural arts to sports? How was it challenging to kind of deal with everything going on as a whole and then addressing those individual needs for those departments? At the beginning, a lot of departments, we did not have access to a lot of PPE. Okay. We have, we have resilient individuals like Glenn, like Jim, who know someone who knows someone. We were able to start getting a lot of the mask and the gloves and the hand sanitizers from different places. We had public works calling us, utilities, where are you getting your stuff from? And finally, the city was able to find a contractor to get. But at the beginning, we were the ones who had all of the protective gear and stuff that we needed for our employees. So that was challenging at first because it was trickling in. And then all of a sudden, we found some companies that were manufacturing in a, in a pretty fast pace. And so we were able to get that stuff in. Martha started making yes. masks for us. Yes, I have yes. one. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like she started doing that. We worked with local distilleries to make hand sanitizer. Like we start buying that when someone heard it on NPR mm-hmm. that they were selling it. And so we knew we needed it. So we bought a ton of it. You know, it did smell uh, strong. <laughs> um, <laughs> but an understatement. Yes. But I think that the other thing, though, too, Shana, is like division was impacted extremely different. You had James River that was seeing the highest uses that they've ever seen on record. You know, some spots were getting a 75 to, you know, increase of what they've seen ever in that month. So almost matching quite almost double people are coming to your park. So trash, all those, our staff, those staff were already short staffed to begin with. 
And then they had people who were breaking the law left and right, and they were seeing that. So not only were they trying to do their job, they didn't feel safe in the spaces they were working because people were having, we were supposed to have groups of less than 10, we'd see 25 people partying on the river. Or what do you do in the situation for our poor cemeteries that people are still passing away and they want to have a funeral for their loved one, but the law says you can only have 10 people out there, you know, and then you have funeral homes that are telling people, you know, that was a challenge that we did. We'll do what you need to do to the families. And it's sort of like we had conversations with these then like, look, this is a public health issue. You know what I mean? Like if there's something you need us to do to tell them not to come, we're happy to be your partner, but we don't need you encouraging them to say, well, just show up there. So we have 200 people showing up. We had to send letters to the funeral home and say, this is the protocol and you must follow the protocol. From our attorneys. Yes. That's how serious we had to get. For recreation in a lot of ways, we've hit pause for a few months, but then we realized, okay, we've got all these staff that really want to do, let's move them to the areas where we are overwhelmed. You know, and to me, the most amazing thing is when you hear some of the stories, and hopefully you'll hear some of this throughout the podcast when we interview other people, is that we have staff that have lived in Richmond their whole entire life and had never been to Texas Beach, had never been to Texas Beach. Or down on the river. Or down on the river. Okay, I've been in Richmond my whole life, and I've never heard of Texas Beach until just now. No. Okay, now so, I'm and go. And you have to, because yeah. that was the other thing that they said. They understood why all the college kids came out to Texas Beach now. You know, like they got it. And that they, you know, and that we paired them up with experienced people. So we didn't just say, Shana, you need to go walk on Texas Beach, and this is the route to get there. They paired up with someone else that had been doing it for years, and they got to see the beauty and the wonderful aspects of that. Yeah. And it again brought like our team, someone, you know, it was Kim, Kim Morgan was one of the many and Irvin Carter and several would just say, this is a like, I want to come back here now for my recreation. And so that we could start bringing that together and that now Giles and Kim Morgan, you know, know like we, p- people created relationships. Yes. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. It is. A, I mean, there is a lot as hard and as horrible and I would never want to relive this type of experience. <laughs> It is wonderful what has evolved in our department in a lot of ways. We'll be back after this short music break. kind of, kind of, it was really stressful for the department was the whole issue around the Confederate statutes. Because, oh, yeah. because the department is responsible for maintaining the statutes. And we have a lot of small ones, big ones, you know, all different types in parks on Nyman Avenue, just all over the city. And so when they started coming down, we just got bombarded with all of these calls from people who were not very nice you know, wanted to know where the city put those statutes and why aren't we 
you know, uh, out there protecting the statues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was really a stressful time for, um, and still is still, you know, it's still going right. on because the issue hasn't been resolved on what's going to happen to those statues. And it's something that city council is, is working on right now. But that was, um, I mean, we had somebody come up to our, our office and, you know, mm-hmm. pointing the finger and was harassing, you know, one of our staff regarding the statutes. And so it's, that right there has been right. a little bit stressful. And the thing that's tough is that we are employees of the city. We follow the law. And if we don't follow the law, you know, then it's hard for us to enforce the law. And the law that are, this was the thing that I felt like was so missed, is that the General Assembly established a law that was so poorly done to get the monuments down and really protect it, the monuments from staying because they made it so hard for it to legally happen. And it was hard to get the public to understand is that the mayor's hands was really tied. And he finally figured out a way to sort of get them down because the General Assembly still put in caveats to that law to make it extremely difficult to happen. And if he hadn't done what he was doing, We'd still have them up as we speak because council's still working through the process of that was established by the General Assembly. The monuments, I mean, from day one, and Deborah's heard me say this since I moved here, I've said they need to come down. They are definitely symbols that are not what represent or reflect the Richmond that I know. But in addition to that, it's just the, the challenge is it's just how do we get that down? Because the state has definitely made it, it made it extremely challenging. How do you feel sort of being the middleman between it? We manage the statues. We, they're somewhere. Um, I don't know right. where, but they're somewhere. And having people to call and ask questions and be um, irate, if they're anything like the people I see on Facebook, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I think our staff handle it mm-hmm. very well because you just have to remain calm, you know, and um, because you don't want to be on Channel 6 or above the fold in the newspaper. And so the only thing you can say to them is don't know where they are, they're stashed or don't know where they are. And if you have concerns, then, you know, call city call, call the mayor and stuff like that. And and remain professional. They are city assets. And it is city council's determination Mm -hmm. on how we dispose of those assets or what we what we do. That was basically how the state mm-hmm. law was written. It is city council's uh, major responsibility. So I have definitely just said. It was easy. Yeah. That, at that point, the, the we were, we have dealt with a lot of the, the PR aspect of mm-hmm. it, but we were not a lot part of the actually what, what was all going down. Mm-hmm. When those came down on that day, when Stonewall Jackson came down, it was news. I was getting texts that they're coming down, like from our staff who was watching it live. I had no idea it was coming down that day or do at that time. Do you feel like you should have maybe have, the department should have been given a heads up that it was coming down to be more prepared for questions or? I think it was I think for our department, to be quite honest, it was probably the best thing that we were not aware because um, we weren't getting the same legal advice that the mayor was getting. And so. It was just good for us to be out of that uh, that piece. So I think I appreciate that the mayor left us out of those conversations. Um, and that, as he said publicly, if he could be the one that solely took responsibility for that, he would be the one that did. And ultimately, that's sort of what he did. 
was that he took the lead because he knew there would be, as we're seeing, there's lawsuits that are happening now. There's questions about those pieces. No good deed goes unpunished. Well. I think sometimes <laughs> there, there are some of those challenges. So he really did make a very bold and courageous move. We'll be back after this short music break. conversation is to be continued yes. <laughs> as we know here yes. in Richmond. Yeah. Um, so if you watch the news, a lot of companies have started to express holes or issues that they had within their companies while COVID is going on. Maybe things that they could have done. They could do better to be better prepared. God forbid the next global pandemic decides to come or maybe they're hard stance on not working from home was too hard, realizing that employees can work from home. Uh, Has there been anything that you all have seen in our normal course of business that could potentially change post-COVID? Absolutely. Um, You know, we're nobody's perfect and you learn. I know we sent out an assessment to sort of talk about some of the things recently so that we can continue to look at that. But we had gaping holes in our technology. Um, and I really do want to, you know, give Wanda a shout out for her ability to think quickly in a situation and say, we have all these laptops that we have with our before and after school programs. Let's bring those in and redeploy them. You know, so it was trying to think about how do we get more people because we've been more of a desktop, not a laptop department. We have limited cell phones for us. I mean, we have been trying to be good stewards of city dollars, but in a time of this, it's been challenging and it's a mindset change, you know, too. So we had to get the technology and then the city needed to build the infrastructure so the technology could work and better utilize online softwares. We're slowly getting to the process where I can sign something and scan it and then send to someone. But prior to COVID, I can't tell you how much stuff I sign that has to then go through every person manually. Yeah. So it's not that we can scan it. We enter office it or hand deliver. And it's usually six or seven people that have to sign it. So we're in the process of changing that, which I think is huge. We've embraced teams. I know at one point, like they tracked the number of people that uh, were team user. And I was like one of the highest users in the city of using teams because I went to, we have to virtually meet. I've been in very few face-to-face meetings for COVID. And then I think also the changing the behaviors of wearing the mask. It's not the most comfortable thing. You know what I mean? And I get why people sort of challenge doing it, but I wear the mask not for myself. I wear it for the people I interact with every day. And I just want to make sure that I do what I can. It's a small thing to do. It's small inconvenience. You think about, you know, I think about this often of what my grandparents had to do living through the depression, things like that. Those were sacrifices. You know, this is an inconvenience. It's not a sacrifice. How do we continue to get that and understand that we've got to do these? These are little things that we really have to do to protect our community. Yeah. And I'm finding some people work well at home and some people don't. Chris suggested that at least one day a week we work from home. 
Isaac is not an at-home work person. And so, which is fine. Some people are and some people aren't. Some people need to come in and, and work and not, I can work from home, but I still like to be in the office and, and talk with staff. Teams is good. People are getting used to Teams. I think our meetings are shorter mm-hmm. now. Um, I know that Chris going to an executive staff meeting with the CAO, the, those meetings were long sometimes, but now they're just short and quick to and point. to the point. Even the council meetings, I'm finding a little bit shorter and you don't have a lot of other ancillary things going on that made the meetings longer. So that's been helpful, people getting used to it. So I think that it's just a way of life. I don't think that a lot of people are going back to the office space. And so you're going to have a glut of empty offices around the city. And so what does the city do? Things that you have to get used to. Right now. And, and I think that, you know, we really are, we're reexamining everything from how the work from home and, mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people, Deborah and I, myself, but there's others. And I mean, we work really seven days a week mm-hmm. in order for us to emulate work-life balance. We feel like we need to show that to our staff. You know, and try to figure out a lot. A lot of our staff, I mean, right now, they're juggling so much. They have their job. They have their kids that are at home in most cases. They're having to deal with different family issues. They have the stress of all that we're living in. I mean, outside of COVID, too, we have a lot of unrest that's happening in our in our community. And we're finally grappling with issues that have existed in our community for 400 years. And it is the time, you know, it's been well over time for us to address a lot of these issues. And unfortunately, as I've said, it took us 400 years to get it. It, We're not going to get out of it in 40 days, but at least we're talking about it. You know what I mean? And at least I don't think it's going to go away. But that's a lot. That is a lot to see the things that we're seeing and living. Mm -hmm. This is it's a lot beyond what we're dealing with. And so you have to understand we've got to take care of ourselves. You know, we've got to realize that our work is important, but our home life is just as important. And I was listening to a podcast um, the other day and our former first lady, and she was just saying that leaders and people in roles have to show their staff it's okay to put your family first. Yes. Right. That is something that I think we're trying to even show that because a lot like I'm really, really bad about working and doing things. And, you know, and I realize that and I tell and Deborah, can say, but I'm really good about trying to encourage my staff, go home, take time off. Like I, I do not I mean, I do not do what I preach. And so <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. So because we have to get on him. Yes. Taking time off. Yeah. So, But I'm working like I will say that I have so much trust in the, the staff that we have here. The first time I can ever remember, I took a week off and I did not look at my email the entire week. Uh, I had 300 emails when I returned, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It was like I was, you know, it was what I needed. And I think that we've got to learn from these experiences. We've got to figure out how we can be better and stronger. We're open to other ideas if there's stuff we're missing. We'll be back after this short music break. to reconcile the need for kids to 
get out of their houses, be active, find, you know, even just a 30 minute break from the, you know, not necessarily bad situations at the end, but just being in the house versus knowing that it may not be 100 percent safe to them or the staff. So I'll start on Deborah, please add. But um, we've evolved and I think we've evolved extremely sharply. We are doing the summer pop ups in a or I'm sorry, the fall pop ups. We did the summer, which was fairly successful in exactly what you're talking about. How do we get kids out and go back to our roots? Parks and Recreation started in the 1800s from the playground movement. And what the playground movement was, they realized that kids needed a safe place to go outside, outside and do activities and be in a setting that encouraged that. We went back to our roots. That was really what the summer pop-up was. I mean, it's the original of how Parks and Recreation started, where you get in the neighborhood and you're serving the needs of the neighborhood. And there's not a registration process. There isn't all those things. We're just serving the neighborhood kids. We've done that and it was so successful, we've rolled it into the fall. So we're feeding, we're doing some activities, we're making sure we're socially distancing, we're doing all those safe, we clean the materials, we have all that. But it's really part of what the roots are of Parks and Rec. And then the other thing is that we are doing clinics instead of leagues. So we're still getting you out there to throw the football around or do different things along those lines. But how do we keep you in your little sort of you know, pod, you know, that's so your safe little pod. So you're six feet. But how are we getting people out there and doing all sorts of sports? You still can do that when you do a clinic and not the actual contact part of the sport. Okay. So we have added a ton of those things. Okay. And then we're even looking at how we do the Halloween event that it's a drive through um, and how we do those pieces. So we're looking at how do we evolve to me, I mean, you look at the farmer's market and how they did the whole drive through for the first few yeah. months of that. We're learning. We're taking those lessons and we're really trying to do our best. Or the thing that they did at the 17th Street Market where they had the concert with the headphones on, yeah. you know, that was such a cool idea. And you could go sit at the restaurant and social distance at the restaurant and still have a concert. So we are providing services just differently but still are, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. The one population uh, that's going to say that we mm-hmm. really need to figure out how to help is a tough one is the seniors. seniors. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we're, we're looking to staff, you know, this is the time for staff to get creative, for us to listen to them, just to, to find out what are some of the things you think that we can do with the kids and trying some of those things. Richmond is a, a city where it really doesn't get cold, that cold until, you know, late December, January. So you still can do a whole lot of outdoor things. Even in January, you have some days that are temperate. This gives parents the opportunity to still be outside, riding the bicycles with the kids, skateboarding with the kids, um, doing those outdoor activities. For a while, you have kids that don't like to be outdoors because of of bugs and stuff. And, and, And this summer, you know, we had some staff that worked with kids to get them to understand what this bug was, what that bug was, it's what's you know, so that they're not so afraid to be outdoors when they see all kinds of bugs or animals and things of that nature. And and so to get them to better understand nature, to do better how to be better stewards of our parks, playgrounds and our environment and not to litter and pick up after yourselves and those kinds of things. And one thing too, sorry, mm-hmm. is that Deborah just made me more right me of this is that we're all really well aware of the Mayor's Youth Academy. And one thing that um, we were approached on is making the Mayor's Youth Academy go virtual, mm-hmm. which it did. Um, and they wanted to know if we wanted to do some additional slots. And I was like, I'd rather us do it 
something that gets the kids out, the teenagers. I mean, you know, you have a teenager, yes, you I know do. what I mean? That and so having him, you know, sit speak. at home and do all, I mean, so we created that, the teen workforce development program and to see the amazing, th- like that made my heart happy every time I saw their updates weekly, you know what I mean? To see that, the, how they're, they're invested in their neighborhood. They're doing all these different projects from rain gardens to building benches to trails, all those wonderful things that are happening in our community we would have never built that program if it wouldn't have been for COVID, you know, but we realized that we needed to do something different and we needed to offer an opportunity to get kids away from the computer in a safe way. And I think our staff did, I mean, they more than knocked that out of the park. I mean, it's just an amazing, and that was a great partnership with parks. I mean, this was another one where the silos went down. We had park staff, we had the building maintenance staff, we had recreation staff, all of them were working together with these teens. And I thought that was pretty spectacular. Well, that's it. I think I'm done. Yes, I am done. I'll write it right off my, my paper. <laughs> so we're done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. It wasn't that bad. No, was that, it? But I you said you weren't going to be Barbara Walters. I or Bob, and you were. You're so comfortable. We shared and gave you all sorts of stuff. Bob, did Bob Water? No, he did make him comfortable. Barbara Walters, maybe. Yeah. I'll take Barbara Walters. Okay. There will be no book after this. So. Okay. <laughs> you're, Thank you're, goodness. No, there will be no book. No audio coming out on the news. No audio. So you're, you're safe. I'm that. good. <laughs> Thank you, guys. The People Behind the Story is hosted by Shana Battle, produced by the City of Richmond Parks, Recreation, and Community Facilities employees. Recording, editing, and mixing by Anderson Hayes. Music by Greg Liu. Special thanks to our guests, Chris Frauke and Deborah Morton. We'll be back with a new episode on October 6th. Thanks for tuning in.